in travel, such as in life, sometimes bad things happen. Now when these bad things do happen, we have two options. Number one, we can worry about it, we can stress about it, we can think of all the things that could go wrong because of this moment and live in a place of fear. Or, number two, we could have already pre-accepted these bad situations that we thought might happen and live not in a place of fear, but from a place of learning, from a place of gratitude, knowing that worry and stress does absolutely nothing for the situation and the only thing that can change it is action. With music from Cody Crab, writing by Nicole Mallow, I'm Hayden Lee. This is Travel Stories Podcast. Our guest for today is Cody Crabb. He is a composer based out of Salt Lake City. Having worked on a number of full-length films, YouTube channels, and shorts, he is currently the composer for the Travel Stories podcast. And a wonderful job he does. Cody, how's it going? Fantastic. Thanks so much, Hayden. Yeah, no worries, man. I'm glad to hear you're doing well. Glad to hear you're doing well, man. Yeah, it's great to have you on the show, man. As the listeners know, you've been the composer for the show for quite a long time now. And I've said it before, and I will say it again. I absolutely love what you do. The way you turn the stories into little pieces of art, man. I love how you do that. I really do. Hey, it's a two-way street, right? <laughs> That's I mean, I right. couldn't do it by myself. So yeah, it works out. Absolutely, man. I love it. And one of the things that I really love about... Well, when I'm waiting for these compositions to come back, I'm always kind of excited because in my head, I'm like, right, well, this story that he's scoring is from, is from Mexico, is from Cuba, is from somewhere like that. And I know it's going to have that sort of vibe in it and then the emotion in it. And I'm always excited about what you bring and you always bring it, man. And that's, that's just one of the few things that I'm kind of excited about when I'm waiting for these. It's the, the placement geographically, the, the placement of the story really tends to affect the composition that you do. Would you say that's, uh, would you say that's true? Oh, absolutely. And that's actually, if I, you know, if I, if I don't have something in mind immediately, um, I'll just pull up some of the instruments that we would, that are like from that region. And that'll usually kind of spark some stuff just because it's, it, I'll just start playing around on, like a sitar or something like that on my keyboard and it'll I'll start it'll start to spark a few ideas definitely yeah yeah it's 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 one of those things i've always been i've always thought about like see i was talking about this with marissa brown and it's like the kind of the beat and the rhythm of a place like so for example when you think of somewhere like cuba or somewhere like colombia brazil somewhere like that they've got very distinct rhythms to both their music and i would say also their their way of life and their culture you know so like mm. if you think of like brazil for example or like i said or cuba so you've got like a in cuba you've got like a salsary beat it's got that that kind of upbeat that ding da ding da ding da ding you know it's got that kind of mm -hmm. beat to it and life there is kind of it's kind of like that. People are upbeat there. People are, people are glad to see you. People are upbeat. Everyone's talking with their hands. It's, you know, and then, mm, yeah. and then you think of somewhere else and, uh, and I think it totally fits, man. What do you, what's your thoughts like on Jamaica. that? Jamaica. I mean, think of Jamaica with like the kind of a reggae slower beat. And that's, I mean, I've never been myself, but that's basically the reputation that it has that it's super laid back and that people um, don't stress about a lot of stuff. Uh, that's, I feel like that that is definitely, a uh, reason that that kind of music appeals to that culture, you know? And that's, uh, that's why I love 
when you come with the compositions and they, they have the, the music and the feel of that place. And that is, I think, one of the gifts, um, of one of your gifts, right? As a composer, it's like you, for, for most of these places, you don't really know firsthand the culture, you know, and how they, how they are and how they act, but you can still pull from their music and you can still write original pieces of music in that style. I think that's great, man. Well, and like I said before, we on the Q and A episode, we have it doesn't go without research. A lot of times, like I'll um, if it's somewhere that I'm not, I mean, obviously, like more Latin countries, I can kind of get away with it because I'm I'm a little more familiar. But somewhere like oh, where was it? I think it was India. Yeah, I was like, okay, sitar and <laughs> <laughs> so I had to do some googling, like find some stuff out. I listened to some samples and found out some different. Uh, kind of styles of Indian music in that regard. So that, that I, I do have to do some research occasionally just because I'm, you know, not as, I, this has definitely helped me get more well-versed in kind of world music. That's great, man. I'm glad to be of service. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. <yeah. laughs> That's awesome. Now you mentioned Mexico. Now, uh, in fact, I say you mentioned Mexico. You, I'll, I'll change that. You always mention, I always mention Mexico. <laughs> Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> so you spent some time down in down in Mexico, and how much Spanish do you speak, by the way? All of it. All of it. Every single mm -hmm. word of Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm quite fluent. Yeah, definitely. Nice. Okay, that's kind of is that oxymoronic? Quite fluent. I think it is. Is Any, it? I don't know. <laughs> anyway. no, yeah, it's true. Fluent means you speak it very well. So I guess you're right. I suppose. <laughs> anyway, no, that's cool, man. Language is one of those things where it makes it. I think easier to connect with the people i mean it seems obvious it sounds like an obvious thing to say language allows you to connect with the people in that place easier it sounds like a completely obvious thing but i think it goes beyond being able to say you know it's raining today and yes and no and order something yeah, exactly. in that language you know i think that connection and the the kind of the knowing of that person and the ability to trust that person and the ability to go with this person and to understand how they're feeling to have empathy for them i think language is a massive conduit to that, a massive catalyst for that, you know? Yeah, definitely. And I will say, like, when you're on an LDS mission, like I was, um, you're kind of always walking in pairs. So you always, you, it's you and like a companion that you're always walking with. Um, and for the most part, or it could be, you know, anyone from any country, but, you know, for the most part, they'll put the Americans together. I'm not really sure why, but that's kind of how it happens. Mom, from my experience anyway. But, and we're dressed in like shirts and dress shirts and ties. And I mean, you were walking through these like poor neighborhoods in Mexico and you just feel so out of place and people are staring at you. And it's almost like they're like, what are you even doing here? And the minute you open your mouth and start speaking their language, they light up and they feel like it's this deep connection they have with you already just because of just because you understand their language. So I think that's def that definitely has a huge part of stuff too. Just people will open up to you just because you know their language, not just because it, they feel like it's, they feel some kind of connection. It's, it's, they, they feel more comfortable with you. Yeah, man. And I think it's kind of like if you, if you're traveling and you're, say you're from England and then you just kind of hear in the background in a group of people, some guy like, Oh, yeah, we're going to go over there. And then we're going to, you know, in an English accent, you immediately go, Ah, that guy's English, you know, <laughs> and it's kind of. Yeah, well, and, and yeah. And you go talk to him. That's what I did too. And if I heard like an American down there that was like, you know, not a missionary or something, I would like book it over to him and be like, Hey, how's it going? Where are you from? And you make a kind of connection there too. And the weird thing is you would never do that back home. 
you know, because so there's so true. many of them. You know, <laughs> it's really weird. It's really weird. And I'm the same here. If I if I hear um, if I hear a Brazilian accent, someone speaking Portuguese, I immediately go, Ah, that guy. I like that guy. <laughs> you know, and it's yeah. kind of it's kind of weird, you know. But it's like if you've say you only ever say you only ever have spoken one language, right? So say you're say you grew up in Mexico and you've only ever spoken Spanish, right? And someone's there and you hear them, like you say, you you think, well, there's an American guy there. He's different from me. We've talked about this before in the Q and A episode. Like that guy's from over that border. He's kind of different from me. And we've talked about the the ins and outs of that and what being different actually means and are people actually different and all that stuff in the Q and A. But as soon as as soon as that guy hears the Spanish, it's like everyone he's ever known and trusted and loved has spoken Spanish. And it's kind of like you're in his club now. You know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. I know exactly what you mean because I've, I've definitely relate to that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of weird. So what do you think? Like, say, for example, say you didn't speak Spanish, right? And you were down there. Uh, so I'd imagine you knew people that went down there, Americans that didn't speak Spanish, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. So how did they, how did they kind of make that connection with people? Because like you say, with, with the Spanish, it, it does come easier, but if you didn't speak the language, how would you make that connection? So, you know, and you'd imagine like I, once I was a little more experienced, I would train different missionaries. Um, my experience with one particular missionary was he, it was his, his Spanish was so bad. He could not possibly he, he tried so hard but could not grasp anything that people were saying like he would study and like everything and it just would not come and he just would he learned some phrases and he would just do his best to like really like you know we care about you he would say like stuff like that that you just don't say to people <laughs> but like he he meant it and he he just did his very best to kind of to make him feel that and you know body language is also a huge thing he he was the most smiley guy I ever met after that. Like he was kind of not so much before, but after that he kind of had to be because people, he had to sell it without any words. So <laughs> yeah, man, body language is, is kind of, is really important to that because not only is it a kind of universal language in some ways, but in a lot of ways it changes from place to place. You know, some, some bits of body language can mean completely different things in a, in another country. Like they can be offensive. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. There are some universal ones like smiling. I, I don't know if there's any countries where smiling is a bad thing. That, that would be kind of strange, but there's, yeah. there's kind of universal body language like that. And so when it comes to learning a language, I think these things are, are often left out. So the, the things that I think are left out from, from learning a language are how these words are said, because it's okay saying, um, hablo espanol, you know, like it's okay saying that and people yeah, will you know can't what you mess mean. That up. Yeah. yeah. No, but like if you say it like that, people will know what you mean. Right. But I think it's different when, when you say it like they do. And I don't just mean the accent. I mean, you're, you're in. I was going to say your entire being, but that seems too all-encompassing. No, see, I know exactly what you mean because there's a difference between knowing Spanish and speaking Spanish to mm, me. I love that. Because if you know Spanish, you can say, donde esta el baño? And they'll point to the bathroom. Or mm. they can, you can say where. It's the, it's the Spanish everyone learns in their eighth grade Spanish class, right? Yeah. But when you speak Spanish, it's like you know what the words mean before they come out of your mouth. And yes. they're... Yeah, I know exactly what you're saying there because it's not it's not enough to just know what a phrase means. You know the depth of 
the meaning of each word specifically and and why it's yeah exactly yeah man that's something i i found when i was learning portuguese it's, it was like it was like if i'm in brazil right and i point to the table right and then i i either say or hear the word for table in portuguese i wouldn't think right that is a table and then i wouldn't uh, i wouldn't translate that in my head table is mesa and then i in, say mesa because that means table it's that thing is mesa and i know that because i've seen one and that is what they're called you know it's like exactly it's, yeah. you know what i mean it's a really it's hard a thing switch. to explain it's a switch because i remember when i got to that point um i probably was about is about 6 months into two years of my mission. And I, I remember there being a few days where I was just like, it was the translator, the translator part of my brain was just gone. And it was like straight to Spanish and my thoughts were in Spanish and my, you know, I would say stuff in Spanish and I would just mean it in Spanish. And it was a, such a weird, surreal feeling to just be making that transition and not having to think about what does this mean? Or what is, what is that? How do I say this? It was just there. Yes, man. And I think, I think number one, the number one best way to learn a language, I think it may have even been proven. Obviously, it's different for different people, but I think the number one best way to learn a language is total immersion. So if you're in the country, right? Oh, definitely. That's it. And everyone's speaking the language, right? The way I, the way I kind of, uh, the way I did it was say you've got a sentence, right? You've got a sentence of about 10 words, right? And they're all in a different language. What I would do is when you first hear it and you don't know any words, all that is all just, you can't hear anything. You just hear da 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 because you can't pick out any uh -huh. words right and then, yeah and then as soon as you learn say one word and it's in the sentence you'll hear da -da -da -da, da -da -da, the word da -da 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 -da. and then that one will kind of stick out to you loads and the rest will just be clouds and mist right and then the more words you add into that the more words and then the sentence gradually builds up and even if you're kind of 80% there and 20% of it is just missed and you don't know what they mean you've got pretty much I mean even 50% of the words you kind of know what they're saying if you just hear a few words, you can basically piece it together. And that's why that's what I mean when it's the difference between knowing Spanish and speaking Spanish, because there's a difference between piecing together a sentence and really just understanding what someone is meaning. Because, I mean, that's just not enough with language. It's so expressive and you can mean different things and you can joke and you can. There's so many different things besides just words that inflection and things like that, that just don't you wouldn't learn that like the word for um, like the um, in Spanish is este, and I went, <laughs> I went probably three months going, what does that mean? What does that mean? <laughs> Everybody says it, and it just feels like it's in the middle of nothing. And so I finally asked somebody, and they're like, dude, that means um. <laughs> so I was like, oh. <laughs> yes. Yeah, man, it's the same in Portuguese. Like, they'll say, ah, da, 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 da. And I'm like, what's going on? <laughs> did you, did you, are you, are you buffering right now? <laughs> yeah. And I realized there were two points at which I, I felt in myself that I can now speak Portuguese. The one of them was, uh, when I was in a, I was in a taxi heading to the airport to come back to this country. And, uh, I was talking to the taxi driver for a while, right? And then he goes, oh, so where are you flying to? I said, I'm going back home. I'm going back to England. He goes, oh, you're not from Rio? And I was like, yes. <laughs> like, That's a great feeling. Nailed it. But then the, <laughs> the other one as well was, and this goes back to, to speaking the language rather than, you know, knowing the words. Um, I was in, uh, I was in a river in somewhere in the north, uh, near, 
who cares? I was in the river somewhere in the <laughs> north, right? And uh, I was with some mates and the one guy splashed water all over me and it was really, really cold. And just without even thinking about it, my first reaction was to go, I carajo! <laughs> it was like the first thing that came to my mind, you know? And I was like, yes! <laughs> you know? And you're part of it. Yeah, it's true. Because it's, yeah, I, I totally understand that feeling completely of just like, I've arrived. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Honorary, honorary. I love it. <laughs> so, man, speaking of Mexico, I would imagine, knowing you, that your story comes from Mexico. Am I right? You would be right on that. <laughs> nice. Nice. Whereabouts in Mexico does it take place? So, it's in Sinaloa, which is in the, the west coast, um, across from the Baja Peninsula. So, it's just right on, it's like the mainland side of that. Nice. Right, yeah. And do you have a name for this story? Well, as it is famously known, the ambulance story. <laughs> That's so intriguing. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> Radio, you're listening to the Travel Stories podcast, and this is Cody Crab with the ambulance story. I spent two years in... Western Mexico. Part of that was on the Baja Peninsula on the West Coast. And the other part was in Sinaloa, which is the state across the Mar of Cortez. The Baja Peninsula is notoriously extremely safe. There's tons of white people. They accept American money. They're very friendly, everyone speaks English, and nothing bad ever happens. It's a little bubble of paradise. But in Sinaloa, it's kind of a different story. It's known as Mexico's drug capital. There are drug lords galore. It's, fa it's very famous for being pretty dangerous in that way. I don't know if you've heard of the gang Los Zetas, but they are actually afraid to go into into Sinaloa because they're afraid of the drug lords. So needless to say, they're extremely scary. It's a little terrifying. I will say though, they always left the missionaries alone. They're very superstitious and many of them believe in God. And so they thought if they ever did anything to us, that it would be worse off for them than, than anything. So they usually just left us alone. One day after I had recently transferred from the Baja Peninsula, we were in Sinaloa and I was walking down the street with, with one of my companions. He was very new at the time. He'd only been in Mexico for about a month. And he was really still trying to get a hang of the language and the culture and everything. But one day we were walking down this big divided highway. It was bigger because there was a little more traffic than a normal road. And we were just walking down the road and we heard tires squealing in the distance. Something from Fast and the Furious. We turn around 
and we see an ambulance driving up the street. I thought, wow, how bad does this have to be for them to squeal around the corner like that? Not five seconds later, a truck did the same thing and it was chasing the ambulance. My first thought was, it's a family member, it's someone trying to keep up with the ambulance. But the closer I looked, there was a machine gun mounted on the back of it. And we started hearing gunshots. It took me a second to realize the ambulance was getting shot at by this truck. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard gunshots that close before, but I absolutely froze. I didn't react at all. I just stared as this ambulance swerving back and forth was getting shot at by a turret gun and drove right past us. I turn around and my new companion was hiding behind a telephone pole. He asked me, what are we going to do? Are we going to go home? What, what happens now? And I told him we had an appointment to get to and we kept walking. I will say I never found out exactly what happened. Stories like that happen pretty frequently in Mexico. Well, and especially in Sinaloa. My guess is that it was some kind of hit gone wrong and someone survived when they shouldn't have. Regardless though, that was definitely the most dangerous thing I saw in two years. Nothing happened. Nothing like that has ever ha ever happened after that. But I will say, missionaries from my mission would always ask me to tell the ambulance story. Despite that, those two years were probably the most amazing two years of my whole life. I got to learn everything from Spanish to new cultures to meeting amazing people. Obviously, there was a spiritual side to that too. But the cultural lessons I learned, I'm going to take those with me for the rest of my life. That was Cody Crabb with The Ambulance Story. Cody, I enjoyed that. I really Thank you very them. much. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's, I love the stories where they have a little bit of danger in them, you know? Well, and especially mine, because I just stood there while a machine gun was get, was shooting right in front of my face, and I didn't even react at all. Well, that's the thing. I was talking about this actually back on, I think it was season, I want to say season one with Guy Earnshaw, right? And we were saying about in moments of danger or moments where you need to react, 
it's your your initial reaction is to freeze you know rabbit in headlights like just completely freeze and there's not a lot you can do about it unless you kind of have the training or the practice in situations like that to instinctively change those instincts actually and instinctively know what to do in that situation you know and he brought up a thing saying that in um what was it you know it, when you're flying on an airplane and they say this is how you put your seatbelt on this is how you take it off and you're like okay i get it i get it right uh-huh. but, but then they uh they who are they they analyzed a, a plane crash and like almost everyone still had their seatbelts on and it's like in that <laughs> moment <laughs> great laughing laughing at people's death there immediately forgetting everything like yeah. that they just got taught that's yeah. it because like you go into that situation it's like okay we're going down and then you your brain just goes well i don't know what to do you know, it's like you just completely <laughs> I heard it five minutes ago, but I don't know. <laughs> that's it. And that's why, like, I guess it's good to practice the belt thing. If I could leave anyone with anything this episode, it's practice taking off your seatbelt in an airplane, right? But like, it's in the, in all of those situations, you have to have the practice to know what to do. And if you don't, then you'll just freeze, you know? It's Isn't, true. That's kind of what you found, right? Yeah. Well, I, I think it's, I think it actually has more to do with, um, just having that moment. Like I've never had a moment like that where I just reacted or I, or I should have reacted and I didn't. Um, and since then, or I had never had one of those until, until that. And then since then I've had a couple of those, like nothing like dangerous per se, but like someone was going to fall off a ladder or like, you know, something like that. And I was, I had a chance to kind of help them out. I feel like that helped me to just react like my body went oh that was a stupid way to react let's never do that again <laughs> and so then since then i feel like i've had a little bit better reflexes and stuff like that but i'm no ninja <laughs> i don't know man saving people falling off ladders that's i mean i make it sound like it happens like every other day like oh here's another one <laughs> <laughs> you're just walking around like dude to do and then people are just toppling all over the Christmas place lights and-, <laughs> <laughs> and you just happen to be there every time like good thing cody's here <laughs> How did you do that? Oh, believe me. I've been here before. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so it sounds like after you've been there the one time, it kind of rewires your instinct in a way. I feel like it did. Yeah, a little bit. That's cool, man. That's really cool. It's uh, maybe that that can put some people at ease that have been in a situation. I mean, not obviously not exactly like that, but say like you fall off a raft or you, you know, or you almost fall off a cliff or something like that. Your body kind of now knows in a way not to do that and even when yeah. when that does happen it'll probably know what to do afterwards to save itself you know yeah really and i remember you saying that your friend that you were with he kind of he was behind a telephone pole and and you were just there obviously still frozen and the, yeah. bit, the bit after where he says what do we do now what happens now after this immense event that has just occurred before our eyes you know, well we've got an arrangement man we got to be somewhere <laughs> <laughs> well that's the funny thing because in when you're on a mission there's like rules and tons of different things you have to remember like different things you have to follow and stuff so i think he was thinking there has to be like a rule or like a, a there's a procedure what's the procedure and i was like there is no procedure this this sometimes happens so i was like let's go <laughs> yeah i kind of i kind of like 
living like that in a way, having no procedure. I mean, I'm taking something you said and and blowing it up and making it about life and travel. But like, <laughs> of course, yeah. that's that's what that's I do. Your, best. That's literally your job, <laughs> right? And so, um, having no procedure. So, say if you go on like a tour, like a package tour or something like that, there is a procedure to to stuff that happens. If you're in a hotel, like the fire alarm goes off, something happens. You know, some guy comes in, he's robbing people's wallets. I don't know. There's a procedure. There's something that happens, or like, you know, your your booking has failed. You know, and you're not actually booked in there or something like that there's procedures to follow it's all in black and white it's fine right which is nice and which is kind of comforting in a way right but for me i prefer just flying by the seat of your pants man and like if your booking fails and you're not booked into that hotel anymore you figure it out and i think in the figuring it out is where some magic can happen in the figuring it out you can meet someone you can talk to someone you can say man this has just happened and they'll say don't worry about it dude we've got seven people coming to go into this island come with us you know in that procedure in that thing that happens i think that's where the magic is sometimes well and i, I think that the reason that you feel like that instead of like you panic is just because of what we were just talking about off air. Um, we were talking about, you know, you enjoy when stuff goes wrong in a way. You like the feeling of what's going to happen now. It's like a feeling of uncertainty, but it's almost like a feeling of adventure at the same time when something goes wrong. And so I feel like that probably is what helps you get that way because you almost are like, well, great. Now what am I going to do? This is now it's going to be something different and I didn't expect it. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, man. And like to kind of clarify what that, what that feeling is of not necessarily wanting stuff to go wrong, but (laughs) you know, pre accepting it. It's like, say, for example, you're on a bus, right? And you're heading up, up the country, going to a a different city in the country or a different town in the country, right? And if the bus kind of, if it breaks down and you're in the middle of nowhere and you have to all gang together to figure out a solution and some people are fixing the engine and and you, you, you know, some people from the village come and help, then that is, in my opinion, that is a fun time but then it you know conversely if the bus just gets to your destination safely it's just tuesday you know like it's <laughs> for me it's far more interesting when these things get thrown your way and i think i think i mean i didn't i didn't make up this philosophy and i'm not the only person that thinks this but i think that it's a good way to handle life in a way you know because you know that whatever happens whatever is thrown at you you you've already pre-accepted it because you know well at least this is going to be interesting and at least this will offer me new things that are coming my way that maybe wouldn't have been there before you know like life and magic happens in the details and i think the details happen when things go wrong you know that's so true and i feel like i'm i feel like i'm a little bit more that way um and i feel like my wife is just very much not that way or at least she wasn't when we got married and i feel like she's kind of learned a little bit to be a little bit more like that. And honestly, it's a great way to live. I mean, it's, there's a lot of stress that you avoid and you just don't have to worry as about as much stuff. And I mean, I don't know if it's something you can just change or manufacture, but it's, it really is like a, I think it's a great life philosophy, honestly. Yeah. I think a way, possibly a way to cultivate it would be when something goes wrong, because things do go wrong, right? And when something goes wrong, I think, after the initial, if you're a warrior and you take these bad things and you go, oh no, this has happened. And then you, and eventually, you know, I always think a week from now, 
it'll all be sorted, right? And there's a common phrase, later on tonight, I will be in my bed asleep. You know, that is because you know you will be there or I will mm. be in a bed asleep. And that will be, yeah. you know that's going to happen. And I always think a week from now, I'm not going to be worrying about this anymore. Something will have sorted it out or I will have sorted it out. A year from now, I won't even remember this, right? So like a way to cultivate it, I think would be when the dust has settled, be that a week, a month, or even a year, or even the next day, when the dust has settled, take an inventory of what has happened and what bad has come of it, right? Also, maybe write down what good has come of it. And really, when I think, I think when you try to write down what bad has come from this event and what bad will stick with you, right? And what, you know, everything like that, I think it's going to be difficult to write down on that piece of paper what gigantic bad things have come from this event, you know, that are, that are irreparable. I think it's going to be very hard to come up with those things. And then when you read that back and you think, man, at the time I thought this is the worst thing ever, but now I'm reading this back. What was so bad about it? I think that might be a way to cultivate it. Yeah, definitely. And like I said, it's a great way to live. It's, it's stress-free, really. Yeah, for me, worry is one of those big things where, I mean, I eradicated it from my life many, many years ago. And I think worry uh, like you say it is it's not that easy just to go well i'm not going to worry anymore you know but there are ways to practice that and it goes back again to what we were thinking about uh, what we we're talking about really your your instinct in moments of things like that you know the the analogy being you're stood there being still you know that is your inst instinct to just be shocked and be still your instinct might be to worry maybe you were you, you grew up like that maybe it's part of your family you you your instinct is to immediately worry and you can't get out of it if people say you don't need to worry you think you have to because that's your instinct but yeah. as we know from your story as we know it may even only take one instance of you changing that instinct and going through that event to stop you from having that initial instinct of worry hmm yeah, definitely. It's really interesting stuff. I could talk about that for I could talk about worry for ages, man. It's it's my type of my type of thing. So wrapping up, if people want to contact you, if people want to ask you about composition or Mexico or ambulances or trucks with guns <laughs> on, how can they get in touch with you? So first of all, I'd point you to the Travel Stories Podcast Facebook page, of course. Of course. Um, I also I also do have my own Facebook page, Cody Crab Music. You're almost also welcome to go there, message me there. Um, but probably the easiest way would just be Cody at TravelStoriesPodcast.com. Nice, nice. So Cody, thank you so much for coming on the show, and thanks for bringing us such an entertaining story, man. I loved it. Yeah, of course. Happy to do it. Glad to be here again. <laughs> Awesome. It's great having you on the show and it's great working with you on the show. As I always say, your compositions always astound me and I'm always excited to hear them. So thank you so much for everything you do, man. Heart emoji. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Thanks, man. I'll talk to you later. Thank you for listening to this episode of Travel Stories Podcast. Let us know if you enjoyed it on TravelStoriesPodcast.com or on iTunes with a review. We'd love to have you over at the Facebook Live session discussing this week's topic on Tuesday at 7pm GMT, 2pm Eastern and 11am Pacific. Just search Travel Stories Podcast on Facebook. If you'd like a chance to win a Grail Ultralight Purifier, you can either join our mailing list at TravelStoriesPodcast.com slash list or ask us any question you like at TravelStoriesPodcast.com slash ask. On behalf of myself and the team, Thanks again for listening to the show. We truly appreciate it and would love for you to join us next week for another episode 
of the Travel Stories Podcast. Mm-hmm.